What I'd like to talk about this evening is about some of the beliefs that we carry, beliefs about ourselves and the world, and the effect that they have upon us. The other evening I was speaking generally about our demons and our relationship to them. And this evening, in a way, I'd like to focus quite specifically upon the, the demon of our beliefs. Not in order to depress you, I assure you, <laughs> but hopefully, if we can see our, if we can see the emptiness of our demons, if we can no longer be afraid of them, we will learn to be transformed through them. And we will learn to see them as vehicles for new openings and new depths of opening within ourselves. You see, this retreat so far, the talks have heavily featured in stories about the animal kingdom. <laughs> and just so as not to disappoint you, <laughs> I have another one tonight. <laughs> I feel almost embarrassed. <laughs> I hope you know that we're paying the highest respect to the animal kingdom through these stories. And tonight, my story's about chickens. <laughs> and eagles. The story is about a golden eagle. A man once found an eagle's egg, and wanting to save it, he put it into the nest of a backyard hen. The eaglet hatched with the brood of chicks and grew up with them. All his life the eagle did what the backyard chicks did, thinking that he too was a backyard chicken. He scratched the earth for worms and insects. He clucked and cackled. And he would thrash his wings and fly a few feet into the air. Years passed and the eagle grew very old. And one day he looked up and he saw a magnificent bird far above him in the cloudless sky. It glided in graceful majesty among the powerful wind currents with scarcely a beat of its strong golden wings. The old eagle, who thought he was a chicken, looked up in awe. Who's that, he asked. That's the eagle, the king of the birds, said his neighbor. He belongs to the sky. We belong to the earth. We're chickens. So the eagle lived and died a chicken, for that's what he believed he was. It's not, I feel, inaccurate to say that the beliefs we carry within us shape the world that we experience. They shape the way in which we see our world around us, and our beliefs shape the way in which we see ourselves. The beliefs that we carry mold and condition our personal reality and the quality of that reality. Many of our beliefs are really not so conscious and not so visible to us. 
but they have a profound power and a profound influence in our lives. Think of so many or some of the beliefs that have really influenced the world throughout time. You know, at one time, it was strongly believed that the world was flat. And so the horizons of people's experience and people's lives was limited by their fear of falling off the edge of the world. There's been beliefs that non-Christians were heretics and infidels. And the mission of a true Christian was to cleanse the world. For centuries, it was a commonly held belief that continues even today, that humanity is the dominant and the most intelligent species with the right to dominate and to exploit the world that they live in without any consequences. Think of the beliefs that shape our world today. All this business about bad guys and good guys. How often bad guys and good guys are created upon beliefs, upon the basis of believing one race, one color, one gender, one political system is better, more right, more true, more superior to another. And how those very divisions created through, the, through beliefs are the source of so much prejudice and so much hatred and so much violence in our world. Religious beliefs throughout time have divided one person from another, divided families, divided communities. In many ways, history is a record of the power of beliefs. And history is also a record of the destructiveness, the oppression, the hatred, and the separation that stem from beliefs that are subscribed to. It's very easy for us to scoff at some of the ignorance of the beliefs that have shaped people's worlds. It's very easy for us at this point in our lives to dismiss so many beliefs that have influenced our world in the past as being nonsense and empty. It's also totally easy for us to see that what beliefs do is to create narrowness and contraction that what beliefs actually do is to undermine openness and liberation and freedom. It's also easy for us to see that there's really not a lot of difference between holding a belief or believing something to be true and being imprisoned and held by the very thing that we come to believe in. It's easy to identify the beliefs of others. It's not always so easy for us to see our own beliefs, the possibilities that we believe in, the ones that possess us. It's not always so easy for us to see the beliefs that are in this moment in our lives shaping our lives in a particular way, in a particular fashion. If you repeat something often enough, it becomes a truth. If 
you repeat something often enough, it is no longer a belief. It becomes a reality for us. And the danger of so many of the things that we repeat, the danger of so many of the beliefs that we come to repeat, is that those beliefs tend to be based upon a sense of limitation rather than upon a sense of possibility. That the beliefs we repeat so often are our way of subscribing to boundaries rather than to horizons in our lives. And because of that, many of our beliefs are actually a burden to us. They camouflage our own sense of potential. They camouflage and suffocate a vision of our own possibilities and a vision of our own freedom. Because the very repetition of our beliefs prevents change and stifles change. Because through the repetition of our beliefs, what we come to believe in is a very frozen image, a very frozen picture of who we are, of who another person is, that prevents change, that prevents us from knowing the freedom that is possible for us. Truly central to a life of real freedom, truly central to a life of, of deep openness is the willingness and the clarity and the courage to let go of so many of our beliefs, to be willing to see the transparency of them. Central to a life of freedom is not repeating endlessly all of the things that we think we know but a real willingness to explore what is unknown and what is unfamiliar to us. For centuries, beliefs have shaped the life of women. The growth of women is actually a record of their ability to cast aside so many of the beliefs and the belief systems that have stifled them, that have suffocated them. Because throughout time, many of the beliefs that have been held about women, that women have held about themselves, have served to imprison them. We know the times when femininity was defined as, as weakness, as delicacy, as being very fragile. We've all read the stories of the Southern Bells and Victorian women whose major companion in her life was her bottle of smelling salts to save her from whenever she was exposed to anything that seemed potentially harsh or distasteful. It was believed for a very long time, perhaps it's a belief that's not quite disappeared yet, that women were born to please born to be an ornament in somebody else's life. You look to the east and you see women who had their feet crippled in order to show their place in the world, what was believed to be their place. Just as we see today women who are shrouded in shadows, in veils, 
believing that their visibility presented a threat in some way in many places and within many people it is still believed that women's seductiveness is a threat to be protected against and the protection is created through confining women in a number of ways depriving her of authority through silencing her and the belief that women beliefs that women have inherited and have endured are countless and their effects in terms of pain in terms of pain cannot be measured it is also true that the casting aside of so many of those beliefs has involved depths of courage that at times we can hardly imagine the real willingness to question the real willingness to be courageous to expose the falseness and transparency of the beliefs so questioning that's involved not just outer questioning but also a deep inner exploration we see that there's been times in history when many women seemingly had little choice the power of beliefs the power of those who extended this those beliefs was so strong that it really was almost impossible to grow out of them that it was even dangerous to challenge them there's another set of beliefs that's not so imposed upon us we may have inherited them but they're not so imposed upon us they are the beliefs that we have about ourselves the beliefs that we have created on the basis of the past and the beliefs that even now we may be perpetuating in our lives that limit us and define us in ways that are limited there are beliefs that we can carry within ourselves that also define our relationship to the world around us the misuse of power is hardly possible without the belief in powerlessness what we need to do is to really be willing to explore the depths of our own being to look at any beliefs that we carry that inhibit our own freedom our own dignity and our own integrity to see the ways in which we breathe life into the beliefs that actually confine us to look at the emptiness and the falseness of them to expose that emptiness and that falseness to ourselves is not enough only to focus on outer beliefs and we are also called upon to look at the boundaries we perceive in our own lives to look at what those boundaries are what we believe our limitations to be what we believe our we are unable to do what we believe we are incapable of doing or of being to look at what we believe in about ourselves that stops us from being free
It is not so difficult to see the beliefs that shape the world. We need to see the beliefs that shape our own lives. The choices we make in our lives, the things we are afraid of, also the things we aspire to or don't aspire to, tell us a great deal about what we actually believe in. The roles and identities that we choose or adopt or simply find ourselves in, they too tell us a great deal about what we actually believe in about ourselves. And there is simply no doubt that the what we believe in shapes our life experience in this moment and also shapes our life experience in the future. Just as the beliefs that we carry in this moment have been shaped by past experience, there is this continuity in beliefs that carries through year after year after year. So our lives can become a way of manifesting deeply held beliefs. We can also cease to live in the spirit of those beliefs. How many times have you found yourself in a situation which is simply an echo of the past and wonder or despair, asking yourself, how did I ever end up here again? Why does this keep happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? We find it in meditation, we certainly find it in our lives. Perhaps it's experience of disillusionment. They keep repeating themselves. You think you have some sort of odd karma where you act as a magnet to disillusionment or frustration. Perhaps it's, it's humiliation or feelings of powerlessness. And you think, is there something unique about me, something so different about me, that I keep ending up in these situations where I feel overwhelmed by somebody else's power? Or where I feel ashamed of who I am? Where I feel self-conscious about who I am in this world? Have you ever found yourself in situations again and again and again where you find it impossible to make a decision? where you feel directionlessness, directionless, where you're waiting for some magical answer to fall from the skies that will hopefully, hopefully resolve a decision that feels so hard to make in your own life? Have you ever found yourself in situations where you were faced with the choice of making changes or maintaining things the same? even in the midst of difficult situations, work, relationship, contact, that can be quite difficult. And you have to make a choice about keeping it the same or, or making some change. And you find yourself keep making the same choices, even though those choices may be very contrary to what you feel you would actually like to make. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you know that you really need to let go of something which is disempowering to you, and yet feeling afraid to take the risk? 
those situations, the way that they echo in our lives, their repetition, reveal to us about what, who we believe ourselves to be. They reveal to us what we believe about our sense of possibility, our own potential. If you were given, you know, if there was such a thing as a fairy godmother, and you were given the opportunity to reimagine your world and to reimagine yourself, what would you leave behind? To think about what you would really like to leave behind about yourself, you know, whether it's some quality or another. What we would wish to leave behind if we were given that opportunity to redefine our world again tells us what we intuitively sense is a belief that limits and suffocates our own potential. I mean, we, we do perhaps spend too much time in our lives thinking about fairy godmothers. And we end up fantasy and imagination about how things could be and should be. And I think we probably are better served by questioning just a little bit more deeply and to see whether these, this tendency to accumulate such elaborate belief systems about who we are, whether that tendency to accumulate isn't an expression of a more primary, a more fundamental belief that we have inherited. The most powerful the most undermining belief we could ever inherit and ever do inherit in our lives is our belief in our incompleteness. That there is something fundamentally missing, absent within ourselves. That we are fundamentally not whole and not free. It is that primary belief subscribing to that primary belief that leads us so much in our lives to seek outside of ourselves what we feel we can never find within, that leads us compulsively to look outside of ourselves for the completion or the qualities that we feel are missing within ourselves. It is that belief in incompleteness that leads us to adopt so many disguises in our lives, so many props, so many identities, so many roles that we can present to the world and to ourselves that show us to be someone and to be something. It is that belief in incompleteness that leaks, leads us too often to seek for affirmation and for approval from others, feeling that we need to have that because the affirmation and the approval from others is some kind of evidence of our acceptability, our worth, that we feel unable to give to ourselves because we believe ourselves to be incomplete. It is that same belief in incompleteness that also leads us to want to be endlessly distracted, lost in fantasy and afraid of being alone, 
because we are afraid that if we are still and if we are alone, what we will encounter within ourselves is just a vacuum, a nothingness, a direct encounter with what is actually missing. That belief in incompleteness is sustained and fed through everything almost that we hear and receive from the world around us. The feedback and the input we receive from the medium, from literature, from our models, basically tells us about our incompleteness. Our fairy tales and our mythology and our models are the story of the incomplete woman who must look for otherness, who definitely has something missing, and who can change herself, possibly through the, with, only with the aid of something else. The other morning here, I must confess, I watched, not here, uh, before I came here, I watched your wonderful television. <laughs> and every ad, every single commercial, was a message to tell you how rotten you were <laughs> and how you could get better, how you could improve yourself, how you could make yourself more desirable, more acceptable. You know, there was a cream for giving you young hands, you know. There was another cream for removing the wrinkles from your neck. There was another cream to give you the look of Eastern youth. And even the worst was this lineup of models who appeared with this abdominizer for all things, for <laughs> tightening your abdominal muscles. And it said, you can choose the body you want. <laughs> for only for only 1995. <laughs> I mean, what fantasy! Well, we have absorbed this throughout our lives. We have absorbed the story of the unworthy woman, the one who is never right never acceptable and never complete as she is. We have absorbed it throughout our lives and in that story what we see is the waiting and the passive woman who is going to receive salvation and happiness and completeness through the medium of someone or something else, who is going to be made to be complete and to be free, not through her own effort and not through her own wisdom, but through the effort or the recognition or the compassion of somebody else. And this is the input we absorbed and it becomes consciously or unconsciously so much of the basis of our own models and fantasies and is such a major building brick in our own belief systems about who we are so that we direct our lives seeking for completeness and freedom elsewhere. This vision of incompleteness, of course, is not only the territory of women. I mean, how many people in our world spend their lives pursuing the fantasy of salvation through the medium of someone or something else who believe that authentic freedom is not to be found within themselves. However, it is true 
that the fantasies and the models that women inherit, the story of the incomplete woman is quite specific to women. It is also true that women tend to manifest their own story of incompleteness in ways that are often quite specific to women. How many feelings have you shared in your life with other women of feelings of powerlessness, of self-doubt, feelings of unworthiness, feelings of passivity, feelings of self-negation? How many times have you shared in your life with other women your horror of dependency? or even the horror at that kind of armored independence which denies need and connectedness and the capacity to connect. And how often these feelings arise and we dislike them and we reject them and we feel imprisoned by them. And as they arise, we've worked with them, we've made effort to modify and to change them. And at times we feel so frustrated and so despairing because we seem to be stuck in some rut where we can't change something that is so fundamentally ingrained within us that we are not free, that we are incomplete. And wonder if we can ever, ever change that belief. When we see how difficult it is to alter those tendencies, seeing that perhaps reinforces our suspicion that there is something deeper than, deeper than just the visible expressions of powerlessness and self-doubt and, and passivity and, and self-negation, that underlying all of those is a fundamental belief in incompleteness. And perhaps we begin to see that, that so many of those feelings are simply differing expressions of a deeply held belief in our own lack of freedom. We come to spirituality, many of us, because it offers a vision of freedom. It affirms to us our essential connectedness, our essential completeness. In this path, we are actually invited to reimagine our world and ourselves and our own potential. We are asked to explore our horizons, to look within ourselves, to really sense what our possibilities are as a woman, as a human being. We are not invited to, to fantasize or to look outside of ourselves for anything. What is taught in this path is that everything you need lies within you, that freedom is not something you're going to achieve or, or attain or gain or become, that it is the essential, it is the essence of your being. And all that is necessary is to see the transparency of our beliefs. We are invited to trust in our own freedom all mystics and all teachers in every single tradition have shared in that vision that freedom and completeness are our heritage, that the beliefs in limitation and incompleteness are false and empty. And the heart of spirituality 
is, is to see the freedom and the completeness that is already there within us, not to look elsewhere for it, but to see what is already there, not through striving, not through overcoming, and not through transcending who we are, but through seeing the transparency of our beliefs and shedding our fears. Seeing the falseness of our beliefs, it's not born of some very complicated message or some secret teaching. Everything that we need to see the falseness of our, of our beliefs we have in this moment. We have the capacity to be aware. We have the capacity to be open. We have patience. We have energy. We have life. We have the capacity to attend to what is here before us. We don't need anything else. It's all that anyone has ever had. Mystics of the past have not had some special, special teaching, some special method. People we admire who are really free in their lives, they didn't you know, have some secret teaching that was handed down that, you know, some piece of information we've missed. They had what we have, our capacity to be awake, our capacity to be present, the willingness to see, the courage to let go, the perseverance of staying with what is and opening to what is here before us. Nobody has ever had anything different than that. And nothing more is needed than what we actually have in this moment. Our trust, we come to trust in ourselves and to know our own freedom simply through exploring those resources and capacities that we have through nothing else. The heart of spirituality offers vision. It offers vision. That is its gift to us. It offers us a sense of vision. The heart of spirituality says to us that we are essentially free, complete, and whole. That that has never been separate from us, never been apart from us. It is not that we are not asked to do anything. A great deal is asked of us. A great deal is asked of us to understand our fears, to open to our fears. Because it is, you, know, you are asked to reimagine your world and to reimagine your own sense of possibility. But you are not just asked to rearrange and modify the furniture in your own house. What you are actually being invited to do in this path is to move house. And that is not so easy for us. That is not so easy for us because we <coughs> see the safety of the familiar. We see the safety of what is known for us. We see the pleasure we get out of staying with what is familiar and known to us. We are afraid of what will happen if we let go. What will happen if we open to our fears? What would happen if we actually believed we were free? What would happen if we actually believed we were complete and awake and whole within ourselves? I mean, what difference would that make in our lives? For most people, it would mean some fairly radical changes. It's not that you are being invited to abandon yourself. 
to negate yourself or to erase yourself, but to sense what your possibilities are, to take that one single step of turning towards and opening your heart to the fears that can so often limit us, to look at the beliefs we've inherited, to look at the beliefs we've carried, to look at how they inform our lives in this moment. Do we need them? Do we truly need them? What does it actually take for us to see the emptiness and the falseness of those beliefs? Think of this self that we call I and all the descriptions that we have. I am afraid, I am incapable, I am powerless, I am a victim, I am, I am suspicious, I am angry, I am jealous, all those words we use. And how, what, where is their power except in the very moment, not of their arising, but in the moment of our believing in them? Do those words have any power whatsoever except in the very moment that we hold on to them and the very moment that we subscribe to them and in the very moment of subscribing to them, defining ourselves by them? Is, at what point does that process stop? Is it going to be as a result of long effort and working and modification and having an agenda where one retreat you work on your anger and your next retreat you work on your jealousy? Is it going to be a result of gradually making ourselves more perfect? Is that what the heart of spirituality is saying to us? It is not that we are not going to be gradually become more perfect. As long as we believe in I, we are always going to accumulate some new description. And you've probably seen that yourself, that you've got rid of your anger, and lo and behold, you've got something else. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like a, you know, a piece of Velcro that goes through the world, you know, just collecting things, you know. You know, and you pick one piece off, and no sooner than something else sticks. I mean, there is that fundamental belief in I am that puts an adverb after it. And the adverbs we use differ. The concepts we use differ depending on our life experience, depending on what we hold on to in the past and in the present. But in the very moment of that I am arising and being held to, we have created a belief system and we have painted a landscape of limitation, which is the landscape we come to inherit. What the heart of spirituality says is we don't become more perfect. We don't work at becoming perfect. We don't work at becoming more pure. We don't work at getting rid of things. The moment of transformation is this moment. It's not a product of time. Transformation can only take place in the moment of seeing, the moment of real depth, the moment of real clarity, of just seeing the transparency, the utter transparency of those descriptions and those words and those concepts. And in that moment of seeing transparency, you know there was not one single moment in your life you were ever not free. You know there was not one single moment in your life you were never not whole and not complete. That learning to live with these belief systems has become a habit. It's one we can let go of. It is one we don't have to carry and we don't have to perpetuate. 
the moment of transformation is not a product of time. To see clearly, to open directly into beliefs, descriptions as they arise, to see their emptiness is to see the emptiness of all of that holding and all of those limitations. All that we can do, all that we need to do and all that we are really asked to do is to be awake in this moment. There is nothing more that is asked of us and there is nothing more that we need to do. To be truly awake is to see the transparency of all those beliefs and all limitations. To see how our sense of I and definition is totally dependent upon a word, a concept we come to believe in. And a moment of really being awake, of seeing the transparency of that holding, is to know what it means to be free not temporarily, not just for a moment, but deeply free in our lives and to live in the spirit of freedom, which is to accumulate no beliefs, which is not to rest ourselves, not to rest our own sense of being within any belief nor in any limitation. And we come to know that that which we seek for the freedom, the wholeness, and the completeness that we seek for rests within ourselves. It rests within every moment. There is never a moment when it is truly inaccessible to us. And our challenge is only to be awake. May all beings live with wakefulness. May all beings deepen in understanding. May all beings live with freedom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.